know, the Bible says in uh, Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to go ahead and get into the, a little bit of word right now. And this has become almost a tradition for me. Used to I'd do it about once every five or six years. I started doing this back in the barn. But over the last several years, people have always asked me to do this once a year because we always have new people, but sometimes also we need to be reminded of what I'm going to talk about today. And I'm going to talk about the nativity scene. You understand when we say the nativity scene, what that is. We've seen it a couple of different times today. We saw it in the cute drama. It is the stable. It is the barn. It is the baby Jesus in a manger. It's Mary. It's Joseph. It's the shepherds. It's the wise men. It's the camel. It's the donkey. It's the sheep. It's, the, it's what many of you have got in different places of your house. Figurines. Paintings. If you know what the nativity is, say amen. Here's, here's the thing that's interesting about the nativity. I like to look at things maybe from a different version, the other, other, a different way that some people look at it. When you think about the nativity, it's ironic that the famous parts of the nativity is the manger itself, of course, baby Jesus, Mary, the angels, the shepherds, even the wise men, are, are as, is almost as famous as Jesus, and I hate to burst your bubble, they were not even there. But they're one of the most famous parts of the nativity scene, and it's not a sin against God if you got wise men in your nativity scene, okay? But the, if you study the Bible, you'll find the wise men didn't actually even show up until Jesus was almost two years old. They were not there at the birth of, of Christ. The shepherds, of course, were, the angels were, and all the other parts of the nativity scene was there. But there's one person that was there that has been regulated to a figurine and a part of a picture and just a secondary part of the story, and his name is Joseph. Now, being a father of course, with verse 18 it says the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together and we understand what came together meant that didn't mean they come together and, and, and drank a cup of coffee come on it meant that they came together as husband and wife she was found to be pregnant so before they ever came together in the, the way a husband and a wife would come together uh, and, be, and be close together, intimate together, uh, she, was, she became pregnant and, and through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, because Joseph loved her, now listen to this, and was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Who's going to give him the name Jesus? Joseph. The angel tells Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, listen to this. When Joseph woke up, 
He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife, but did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, are y'all with me this morning? Say amen. Can I talk real for you for, with, for, with you for about the next 20 minutes? Now, our, most of our kids have gone back. Uh, to their class. We, I see we have a few kids still in here. I'll, I'll give you the, the PG version instead of the PG-13 version. Here's the PG version. He did not consummate his marriage until Jesus was born. But they were married before Jesus was born. So legally, rightfully, scripturally, Godly, being a godly husband, he had every right to consummate his marriage with his wife even before Jesus was born. But he did not. Why did he not? Because he knew the entire process from conception to birth was a holy thing that God had done that he had to choose to support it throughout the entire process and be fully, wholly involved, not just in obedience to God and to his wife, but had to carry out the perception among the community that him and Mary not only had already made a baby, but that they were still doing what husbands and wives did. He had to carry himself that way but at the, while he's carrying himself that way, he was restraining himself to make sure that he was doing everything a husband and a father of, a, of, of a, uh, an unborn child was required to do without having anything to do with it. Do you understand the level of commitment that takes? One of the things that impresses me extremely as a pastor over the years is when I see a man or a woman and they get married and when they get married children from another marriage is brought into that marriage and I see them make a decision to love that child as if they were their own. Come on, are you hearing me? When they had nothing to do with it, not if there's good relations with the other uh, former spouse, not to take away from that, but to be whatever that person can be to that child as a, as a father and a mother in that house and to love that child like they had something to do with birthing that child when they had nothing to do with it. Can I tell you something? I believe some of the greatest image of love and the greatest display of love that a human being could ever do is to adopt a child. Because when you adopt a child, not only do you call yourself dad or mom to that child, and you're doing everything in your power to do that, you are doing everything you can to make sure that child has, a, has, has the best things in life as their parent. But you have to continually fight the temptation. Maybe you don't, but at, at some point in your life, you have to fight the temptation to think in times of stress and in times of disobedience out of that child when they're doing teenager things and other things. 
fight the fact of wanting to give up on that child and say something like, well, you know what? I don't really have any skin in the game in this anyway. You just go be, do what you want to do. I could care less because I'm not really your daddy. I'm not really your mama anyway. But when you can still be that parent, are y'all hearing me? When you could still be that parent, the disciplinarian, but also the love to love them through things like you have your DNA in them, but you know none of your DNA is in them. Many of you know my story. If you don't know my story, you can read the book and get my story. Spoiler alert. If you haven't read my book, you've had plenty of time. It's been out a year, so I can go ahead and tell you this part. When I was 10 years old, when I was a young boy, I found out that my father was not my father. I kept that as a secret until I was in the 10th grade in high school. And still, even then, only a handful of people knew. In fact, 99% of the people that's ever been in my life up until my book came out never knew that. I kept it a secret all the way until I was almost 50 years old. I didn't even tell my own children until they were grown and a few months before my book came out because I didn't want them to learn that in the book. I had raised them their whole life. Not being deceptive, but not wanting to pull them down into something that they couldn't do anything about and would make no difference to them. Are you hearing me? But I had to tell him. So now the secret's out. So I had a brief moment in my life where my father, my biological father was in my life. Just a few months. And then he was gone. So all my life I've dreamed of having a life with my biological father. And it looked like all those dreams were coming to pass. But even though I finally found the man whose DNA is in my body, for whatever reason, he didn't want to be with me. So I was dropped and abandoned and broken by two different fathers. So some of you know where I'm coming from because you've lived that life. Some of you have lived a life and you've never met your father. You don't even know who your father is. There are some in this room, can I be real with you? Who your own mama don't even know who your father is. She could give you a list. You can go to, what was that called? Where you get the DNA test? 23andMe, whatever, Ancestry.com. Go, go, you can pull your blood. You can track them down and find them. But you might not want to find them. I'm saying all this to say this. To this day as a grown man, a father of two grown beautiful daughters, and now a papa. You don't ever get over it. I was working on the, the building here for Focus 25. And I was working on the plumbing. Me and another guy was working outside on the building. 
We saw the running, the water running over there in the front of the building. We didn't know they were draining the lines out on the inside. I thought somebody had accidentally forgotten and left the, the hydrant on. So being who I am, trying to save money and all this, I was like, that's a waste. I took off running wide open, tried to turn the hydrant off. When I did, I didn't realize that they had moved the cover of the shutoff valve. I went straight into it. It's about that deep. Went straight over, hit my hand. I'm pretty sure even though the doctor said it, he didn't think it was there. I'm, I mean, it's been months and months and months. Now i got to go back now. I'm pretty sure I broke the top of my hand. I think it's still broken. But I'm saying all that to say when I went in there to talk to the doctor that day with, with the injury on my hand, and he was looking at some other things, and he was drawing blood, a 51-year-old man has heard this I don't know how many times. Any history of heart problems in your family? Any history of this? Any history of that? Any history of that? And I had to say, I have no clue have no clue. I don't know. I don't know anything about half of me. Are you hearing me? Nothing. So if, if something is genetically in my body through the line of that man, I've, that may be negative, I've had to rebuke it and break any generational curse that I don't even know exists. Are you hearing me? But along the way, I've had some men be a father to me. I've had some men father me. Show me what a man looks like. Show me what a husband looks like. Show me what a father looks like. I may not have those men's DNA in my blood, but I have their DNA in my spirit. You may not have had the greatest relationship with your father, but can I say this humbly? I don't mean this pridefully, but I am your pastor and I am your spiritual father. The, the, the Holy Ghost DNA that flows through me is in you. I'm telling you, it flows down to the sons and the daughters. It's in you. Regardless if you're older than me or younger than me, it has nothing to do with it. If God put it in me, it is my job to put it in you. I remember one time I told a doctor, he asked me one time, this was years ago. I, it freaked him out. This is what I said. He goes, do you have, did you, is your father still alive? I said, no, he, he, he's dead. And, he, and I said, both of them are dead. And he said, what did you say? I said, both of them are dead. Both of my fathers are dead. But I do have the DNA of a great man in my body. I'll never forget telling this doctor in Gardner. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I got two men that called themselves dad that are both dead, but I got a great man in my life. You can't draw him out of my blood, but he's made a difference in my life. And I was able to witness to him. I was talking about Pastor Frankie. I wish you could have seen the look on that doctor's face. So here is a man. Can you, what I just told you about me and what you know about you and maybe you've gone through that, that's one thing. But man, it's on another level. 
First of all, when you live in a culture that the law says if a woman gets pregnant before marriage, she has committed a sin that could be punishable by death. And if you take ownership of being the reason that she's pregnant, you're dying too. Okay, that's the culture in which this story was happened. Not just written about, happened. This is a true story. Then you factor in, not only did that happen, but it happened, and while you're sleeping, an angel shows up and tells you all about your woman. In other words, it could, it could have went like this. Hey, man, before I go any further, let me just know, there's a lot more going on between you and that little girl than you think. You think you chose her, but God led you to choose her. But back up and listen to this. God led her to choose you. Because I got news for you. God doesn't do anything by chance. He didn't make up. He didn't let Mary choose who was going to be the earthly image of the Father to the Son of God. We preach about Mary being highly favored and chosen. And of course, my God, you can't get more highly favored and chosen than for the Holy Spirit, the breath of God himself, to hover over you and impregnate you with the seed of the Father. And, get, and you're a virgin and give birth to the Son of God. Mary, did you know? I love that song, but watch this. Every time I hear it now, when I, Mary, did you know? And when you kissed your baby, you, you kissed the face of God. I want to say to every one of those lines, although I love the song, yep, she knew. She knew every bit of it. Because the angel of God and the Holy Spirit told her. Now you got you just heard an angel told you as a man, and I'm talking about a, a man's man, a carpenter, a builder. Huh? He wasn't no slick-haired, shiny-shoed, sweet little, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, lamb-toting sissy. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but yeah, that's, a, that's, back, that's way back. He didn't walk around like this. Mary, I love you, and I'll be here for you. No, no. He's like, he's like Mary, I'm going to build you some tables and chairs. I'm a carpenter. I'm a man. And God looks at the man. The man and says, Hey, I need you to humble yourself. And I need you to love that woman through your doubt. Because your mind is going to tell you there's only one way she could have ever got pregnant. But I need you to trust me and look at her and remember. She is telling the truth when she tells you, no man has ever touched me, including Joseph. But I need you to carry yourself as if you have. 
When she has cravings, you go to Taco Bell for her. You don't get going down the road, bless God, I didn't eat my own kid. I'm done. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm out getting some crunchy taco. Ain't my kid. Huh? Is this good, y'all? Now listen to this. Joseph, in all of the story of that nativity scene, the birth of Christ, is the only lone, silent member of the entire cast. And the most forgotten. Angels bring heavenly greetings. Mary sings a praiseful solo. Wise men worship. Shepherds preach. Joseph is silent at the birth of Christ. No notable lines are attributed to Joseph. No sound bites. No tweetable moments. Only silence. But without Joseph. Now you ain't going to know how to handle this statement. But without Joseph, there would be no Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just told me he had nothing to do with the conception and the birth of Jesus. That's true. But you understand everything that God ever did. He did it as a man who happened to be God, not as God who happened to be man. So, therefore, if God submitted himself as a walking, breathing Man, he also submitted himself to be a child like any other child. He also submitted himself, and this will blow your mind when you think about it, to develop in the womb of a woman the way we all developed in the wombs of our mothers. The word of, she didn't just boop, just like in that video, she didn't go, oh, okay, I'll do it, Lord, boop, and she's nine months. No, she had to go through those nine months. That's why Luke chapter 2 says, and when the days had come for her to be delivered, she had to go through the whole process. Therefore, that means she had to take care of herself. She had to watch what she ate. She had to, she could, at certain stages, she couldn't pick up certain things. Or it could have caused something to happen to the baby. Can I be real with you? I know he's the son of God. But he submitted himself to his own law that man has the dominion. So he says, if a man doesn't come by way of the womb, John chapter 10, by any other way than the door of this earth, he's a thief and a robber. That's why he says in John 10, 10, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that I have life and have more money. The only reason Jesus, please don't misunderstand me when I say things like the only reason Jesus. I'm not limiting Jesus or God in any way. But I'm talking about when he came here on this earth, he abided by his own law. So he says, if I'm going to get the dominion back that belongs to the man that I gave it to, I've got to come by way of conception. I've got to come by way of birth. I've got to grow up as a baby and I've got to become a man and I've got to go through the same things that everybody else has to go through and then I will be able to look at the devil and say, you never did this. You are a thief and a liar and you have illegally stolen what belongs to my man. And I could, then he could say things like, all power after he died came back from there. All power in heaven and earth is now given unto me. Are y'all hearing me? 
You had to do that. Now watch this. Without Joseph protecting her, taking her on that long journey, I wrote a little short story called The War in Bethlehem. Some of you read it. It was the first thing I ever wrote in my life in the hay barn in 1996, 97. Can't remember exactly. But it's in booklet format. I publish it all the time every year for free on Facebook. I may publish it as a book one day. Uh, but I detail all of this story. You need to go read it. About the attacks on the baby Jesus. The spiritual warfare that was going on in the heavenlies to try to kill that baby. Because the devil, let me tell you something about the devil. The devil knows the word better than you know the word. Huh? The devil knows that the prophecy was that the Savior and the Messiah of the world would be born of a virgin. In other words, he knew that the Savior of the world had to come by way of the womb. So when he had an idea of who he thought the Messiah might be, he tried to kill the person before the baby was ever born. But Jesus took care of her. I mean, but Joseph took care of her, didn't he? Joseph was a just man. He was an honorable man. The Bible says in verse 19 that he was a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. So in other words, he was struggling when he first heard the news. Pregnant. I'm having a child. But I promise you I haven't touched with anybody. Touched anybody. He was struggling. He was going to try to save her life. And he was going to pay for a trip to get her out of town so she could have, quite frankly, in, her, in his mind, her adulterous child out of, out of way of being stoned to death, and he was going to move on with his life. And that's when the angel came and told him, don't put her away. It's not what you think. See, the Bible tells us something very interesting. When you read Matthew chapter 1, I know how it is with some of y'all. Some of y'all may every year in January, and it's a good thing, you decide to do, start, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Okay? You say, I'm going to start reading the New Testament this year, and you start out in the book of Matthew, and you start reading all the begats. If you're in the King James Version, another version, it's the son of, and he was the son of, and he was the father of, and he was the son of. And you get on all the way down, and you'll be like, y'all know how, I know, it's almost like I've been in your house, I've seen you reading Matthew chapter 1. This is how it goes. And so-and-so was a begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, and he lived to, to be 80 years old. He begat so-and-so, and he begat so-and-so. And all of a sudden, your mind just starts to cloud, and your eyes just sort of skim all the way down, and then you, and Mary was with child, and then you start reading. Have I been in your house? But do you know why the begats are there? They are the, God did that on purpose. The Jewish people are the, some of the most, of all people of the world, they care more about genealogy, not just more than anybody, but they're very particular about knowing their lineage. So it's interesting for you to go back at Christmas time and read the begats because they are there 
for one reason. To show you that both Mary and Joseph, this is in Matthew chapter 1 in the begets, are both direct descendants of David. It is very important that they be direct descendants of David, both of them, because the prophetic, the Messiah prophecy says that the Messiah will be born from the loins and the lineage of David and the house of Jesse. A root shall come out of Jesse. The prophecy so it's very important, and it's very important. You say, well, I can understand why the bloodline of Mary had to be lined up with David, but what did it matter about the bloodline of Joseph since Joseph had no DNA in Jesus? It is because God knew that in order for him to carry out his duties as the father of earthly father of Jesus, he had to be known by the religious people to be of the house of David. Because if Jesus ever proclaimed himself to be Messiah and Joseph was from the lineage of someone else, it would have negated the declaration of Jesus because they would say, you are illegitimate because you did not come from the house of David. That's why Jesus is not only called the Son of God and the Son of Man, but He's also called the Son of David. Jesus is called the Son of David. I got 10 minutes. It's her, it's her, fault, it's her fault, y'all. If y'all miss y'all's Christmas dinner. Now listen. Oh. Joseph had was a dream. All he had to go on was a dream and an angel. A dreamy message that something really awful might bring something really wonderful. If he could just trust God to carry him through this. And so he did. He put aside all his feelings of betrayal. He put aside his fear of public humiliation. He put aside his need to follow the law in order to maintain his own sense of integrity. And he trusted God. From the outside, it now looked like he had sinned. Along with Mary. But on the inside... He had to accept a spiritual maturity that most men and most women will never be asked to accept. Do you understand that Joseph in himself was already operating under the spirit of his son? Listen to this. Joseph took on the perceived sin of his wife. Even though she wasn't sin, the rest of the world, if they knew she was already pregnant, they would have labeled her in sin. And Joseph, knowing he had nothing to do with it, when he chose to take her as his wife, he chose to label himself involved in something he was not even involved in. Jesus, the Bible said, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might be saved. 
Watch this. Even though he didn't have any, Joseph didn't have any DNA in Jesus, the, the conception of Jesus had already injected his spiritual DNA upwards to his earthly father. He was already operating in the spirit in which Jesus would walk in one day. Is this good preaching? I'll close by saying this. This is so powerful. This is why he had to be from the lineage of David. After he showed the lineage of the body, that, uh, that he was in the line of David, at the end of the reading, we see that Joseph marries, Joseph marries Mary, both from the lineage of David, and Jesus is born. When he marries her, he legitimizes the birth of Christ. He provides by his act of humility and submission. He provides a legal, for, a legal father for a child who was not even his own. And how about this? He couldn't tell anybody that he wasn't his. Now, I'll close with this. So, we have the nativity scene. We have Mary worshiping God. We have the angels worshiping God. We have the shepherds worshiping God. We have Joseph. I feel sorry for him, man. Every time I go by a nativity scene, they're all there, and you can tell stories about all of them, and here's this one guy. This is what he's relegated to. His entire story in some people's eyes is summed up this way. If you be real, if you had never heard a message like this, you'd look at him and you'd just be able to name them all off. Anybody, oh, there's Mary. Oh, there's the sweet baby Jesus. Oh, look, look. Some people will even say the sheep are so, look at that cute little sheep. It's so cute. Oh, and there's Joseph. But Joseph was looking at him going, Boy, is my life about to take a journey that I never dreamed I would ever take. For it's one thing to secretly hide that my wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit himself. It's another thing to father that boy and turn him into a man. And he's the one that made me. The Jewish custom was that the eighth day, eighth day of the birth of a boy, he was to be circumcised in the temple. On the eighth day, the family would bring the child in. The baby would be nurtured and nourished by the mother. For those seven days, nothing would happen except just taking care of the baby, cleaning the baby, preparing the baby for day eight. On day eight, the mother and the father would walk into the temple. They would take their baby boy and they would take him up to a little altar, like a little table. And they would lay him down. He would just be wrapped in a cloth, 
naked underneath. The priest would walk up to the baby, uncover the baby boy. Standing right next to the priest would be the father. Standing to the back would be the mother. Because in that culture, the mother would be able to be in the room, but would not be able to be up during this process. The only one would be there. It would be the priest, the father of the child, and some of the ones that were helping the priest. Without getting too detailed, we all know what circumcision is. He pulls out a knife. The baby's probably crying and screaming, don't know what's going on. As he's preparing, the priest would do the circumcision, not a doctor, the priest. The priest would take the knife, and this is one of the most powerful rituals in all of Jewish teaching and history. The priest would lay the knife at the edge of the boy and would look at the father and say, What shall the boy's name be? And it was on day eight that the child was named. And the father would proclaim its name. So think back to what that angel told Joseph. Joseph, you got one of the biggest roles that a man will ever have. One day. Not only is this your son, but I want you to know that this is how God looks at you. He is, God the Father is his father. He is the son of God. But I need you to carry yourself for your entire existence knowing that God is okay with you seeing yourself as that boy's father. Because I need you to do for him what I can't do in the spirit realm for him. You are all he has in the natural. So you hold your head high. And at that moment, there was no hesitation. What shall the boy's name be? With pride. A man who had no DNA in the boy that he saw laying there. Stuck his chest out. My son's name is Jesus. Thank you, sir. Here from this day forward, this boy shall be known as Jesus, son of Joseph. And blood was shed. The entire life of Jesus, he was raised as the son of Joseph. Everyone knew him as the son of Joseph. No one knew him as the son of God except Joseph and Mary. And the Bible says Mary didn't even talk about it. She kept it to herself and pondered those things in her heart. But one day, and we don't know when it is, Joseph dies. Sometime in the we know it was after age 12 because we know Joseph was still there taking care of his son at age 12. We have that story. But sometime from the age of 12 to the time he began his ministry at 30, Joseph dies. We have no idea when. But even in his adulthood at age 30, when he began his ministry, go back and read your Bible, you'll see many times you'll hear the people say, who does this man think he is? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the boy from Nazareth? They still called him. In fact, his name would have been, what is actually, I'm doing the, Jesus, the, the, the English translation, his name was Yeshua, Yahashua, in his language. But the, the English version is Jesus, so I'll make it easy for you. His name would have been known as this, Jesus 
Bar-Joseph. That's why Peter was known as Simon Bar-Jonah. Because Bar means son of. So Peter was known as Simon, son of Jonah. Jonas. So Jesus' name, his actual legal document name would have been Jesus Bar-Joseph. Jesus, son of Joseph. He carried himself with pride in that. He was the carpenter's son. Now, before we pray, I want to just remind you of, I wish that I thought to get the clip. One of the most powerful clips in the Passion of the Christ, the movie, is when Jesus is carrying the cross to Calvary and his mother is trying to get through the streets to get to him. She's pushing her way. She's going through side alleys trying to get to him on the Via Dolorosa as he's carrying that cross and they're beating him and spitting on him and he's falling. He's, he's just don't even hardly have much strength to, to do anything. There is a scene where he falls and the cross falls on him and he looks down a little street alleyway and there is his mother. She's weeping uncontrollably. She cries out and she tries to touch him and he looks and he says, of course, it's in the movie is in another language, so you read the subtitle. It says, "Look, mother, I'm making all things new." And as he falls, and as she falls, he has a flashback. And I know it's just a movie, but he has a flashback of happier times with his mother. He loved his mother dearly. And what was he doing in that flashback? He was presenting his mother with a table that he had built her. And he dusts it off and he brings her in and she's so happy to see this table that her son had made with his own hands. And they sit down and they break bread and they eat together as mother and son at this table. And then he goes back to the present. And a lot of people may just go right over that scene, but, but I couldn't go over that scene. When I saw it, I thought, thank you, Mel Gibson. Thank you for reminding us that Jesus was not just the son of a carpenter. He had taken on the trade of the only man that he had ever known in his life to be a father in the natural. And he built things with his hands like his daddy. A daddy who had no DNA in him. I remember when my father... In name, it wasn't my father, but I still call him my dad to this day. He passed away in 2008. No one invited me to the funeral. No one in his family told me that he had even died. We found out by chance. I called my brother. I said, what do you want to do? You want to go with me? I'm going. He says, well, what do you think we should do? I said, I think we should go. So we went together. My brother's five years younger than me. We slid in, and I'm not being critical of the people that was at the funeral. If you were there, if you were watching on video, please understand this is not a shot at you, but I'm just telling you facts. I don't know if it was because it was awkward that we were here, there. Nobody expected us. But no one said anything to us. 
No one shook our hand when we walked in. No one. We walked into the room of the funeral of our father. We sat down in a pew, and we watched the movie play of images of his life, and we heard all the people speak of what a great man he was. And, and I thank God. I thank God about this. I think he genuinely gave his life to Christ, and I praise God for that. I praise God for the fact that I believe he's with the Lord. I'm not being critical of any of those people, anything that happened. But when the preacher got up there and said, called his name, he is survived by his current wife, blah, 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 blah. And he is survived by his children. He named all of his stepchildren. And no mention of me or my brother. We were X'd out. I'll never forget it. My brother touched me on my left leg and tears coming out of his eyes. He said, well, that about sums up our life, doesn't it? I said, yeah, but we did the right thing. I put my hand on his, on his hand. When I did, I felt a hand on my right leg. And I looked over and there was a man sitting next to me who had no DNA in me. He was the only father figure I'd ever had in my life. He had slipped in, and I didn't even know he was sitting next to me. This is what he said. He said, son, you are my son, and I'm proud of you, and I will never deny you. Do you hear me? I will never deny you. So I believe to the day Joseph died. I believe he took it to the grave. I don't believe he ever told anybody on his death, but there's something I need to tell you about that boy. I've imagined many times Jesus standing next to Joseph. And his spirit man saying, Father, I can raise him up right now. Just let me, just let me raise him up right now. It's like, it's almost like I could hear the Father saying, if you don't let him go, they'll never know about me. They'll never be able to talk about me. He's come, you'll see him again. Can you imagine? Jesus probably wept. If Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, I promise you he wept at the death of Joseph. And he had to let him go, knowing he had the power to raise him from the dead, but it wasn't time. So from now on, when you walk by the nativity scene, do like I do sometimes. I know it sounds silly, but sometimes I'm telling you, I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I stop by the nativity scene, just me and that little figurine, and I say, hey, man, I ain't never going to let them forget you. That's what I say. From now on, I'll make sure they know what you meant to him. Can we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, today for the example that we were given by Joseph. He was the forerunner of what Jesus himself would do for us on a whole nother level. Taking on the not just perceived sin of another, 
but take Jesus would take on our actual sin and be nailed to a cross for it. So today as we've celebrated all these beautiful presentations of the reason for Christmas and sang about you, Lord, and preached about your earthly father and all that you did and bringing the Savior of the world into the world. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, just like you moved on Mary to move upon the people of this house. If there is anyone here in this building who have heard this story today and you could feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, my God, what an amazing story. He did all that for me. He did all that. was just the beginning of what he did for me. He lived the life and died on the cross for me. He did all of that for me. I don't need to carry this anymore. Maybe you're here today, you say, I'm ready to give Jesus the only gift at Christmas time that I could ever give him. And that's me. That's my life. If you're here today and you say, Jesus, I'm ready to accept you once and for all as my Lord and Savior. Would you just come to these altars right now and stand before me right now? I want to pray with you. Come on. Who is it? Who is it? Is there anybody else? They're coming. They're coming. Is there anybody else that needs to come? Thank God. Thank God.